welcome to the New Life Fellowship podcast. New Life Fellowship is a community of grace in Kitchener, Ontario, Canada. Our goal is to teach and share and experience the life of Jesus Christ together. You're about to listen to a message from one of our meetings. Please make sure to check out our website, newlifekw.ca. Without further ado, let's listen in. All right, good morning to everybody who's joining us here in person and those of us who are joining us online. Uh, you have uh, stepped into a, a holy moment and uh, so moved to hear the voices. It might have just been the violin, but it might have been the Holy Spirit. Um, and so uh, I just want to stop and just acknowledge what we experienced in worship for just a bit. Uh, let's just pray for a second. Uh, Jesus, I just want to speak a blessing over your people that uh, we've probably come here with a lot of labels uh, by which we've defined ourselves. Labels that people have put on us, labels that we've put on ourselves, maybe from parents and teachers and coworkers, or maybe just from situations. We've accepted and agreed to labels about ourselves that are not true. So right now, in Jesus' name, in this moment, in your power and authority, not mine, but in your power and authority, I just declare those labels to be lies and uproot them now in your name, Jesus, in your power and authority. And I pray that this label we be able to receive right now that we are children of God. If you can accept that right now, I ask you to accept it. That I am a prince or a princess because I am of the king. I am born of God. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Well, Peter, unfortunately, bro, let me tell you, whatever, whatever that Robin elixir is, even I need it this morning, okay? The time change hit me too. Even I need a little bit of it. Last time we were here, we, we talked about, as Peter was mentioning earlier, knowing about Jesus or knowing Jesus, and we're, and we're, we're going to continue in that passage. So I want you to go with me now to 2 Peter. We're going to go look again at 2 Peter. It's in the back. As Ross says, a crispy part of your Bible. I love that. It's in the back. It's in the spot where, you know, coffee has been spilled and your coffee and your, and your Bible has soaked it up and it's that crispy part. Exactly. So we're looking at 2 Peter uh, chapter 1, and we're looking at verses 5 through to 11. And last time we were here, we looked at the previous verses. We were looking at three verses. We're looking at uh, ver uh, chapter 1, verses 3 to 4. And so we're going to continue on. And obviously, we're in the same context of what we were in last time we, uh, I was speaking with you where I encouraged you and I warned you that you can settle. This was my knowing Jesus side. This is your knowing about Jesus side, so I'm going to come to this side, okay? 
there, there, as a warning because you can know about Jesus. And, and there's a lot of people who know about Jesus. There's people at universities who know about Jesus. The demons know about Jesus. So James chapter 2 says that they believe in Jesus and they shudder. It's not even enough to believe in him. There's people who believe that there is a historical Jesus and they believe that he probably did miraculous things, but they do not agree with the authority of his lordship over their lives and they don't believe in the resurrection. They don't believe that he's the son of God. So it's not enough to just know about him. We have to know him. And the process of doing that is this in-between place where you have come to know about Jesus because a pastor sat up here and opened the Bible and told you about Jesus, or you sat in a Sunday school class and someone taught you about Jesus, or you sat in Alpha and you had a meal with people and they taught you about Jesus. But it doesn't mean anything. It's of no benefit to you if you don't do this with the knowledge that you've received. You allow Jesus to meet your need. That is how you know him. Because you might have known about his ability to save, and you can know about his ability to heal, and you can know about his ability to encourage you and comfort you. But if in that moment of need, when you need that encouragement, when you need healing, when you need to be saved, you need rescue, if you don't allow him to meet that need, then what's the purpose? What's the benefit? It's of no benefit to you. It's just knowledge wasn't just a warning to say, don't sit in this category. It's more than that. It's that you're just going to waste your time. So the encouragement is don't waste your time. Do you, listen to me. Is it possible for believers to waste their time on earth? Is it possible? Yes, it is. And you know that because you might have known Jesus for a while and might have come now even into this place where you have a deeper understanding of his love for you. That you, you might have knew him when you were, you know, five years old, but you might have come to faith when you were five years old, but now you know more about his love. You could receive it now. You've seen him work miracles in your life over time. And so it's true. It's, it's possible for us to not know enough about him and to not allow him to meet those needs. So can we waste our time? Yeah, of course we can. And so this is where I want to take us next. And this is what I believe the apostle Peter wants us to do with this subject of knowing God. Because he says it's not enough to know about him. He wants us to be fruitful. Everyone say fruitful. The Apostle Peter says, no, I want you to be fruitful in your knowledge about Jesus. It has to, it has to do more than just be something that you know about. I want to see it expressed in your life. And the truth is, guys, that by the power of the Spirit in you, as a new creation, you want to be fruitful in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. You don't want to settle. You don't want to waste your time on this earth. You want it to count. Who wants to count? You want it to count for your family. You want it to count for your workplaces. You want it to count even for yourself. You know, um, I'm going to get into the passage soon. I'm sorry, I'm still talking here, but... Listen, the, um, president, the president of this uh, uh, seminary and Bible college, uh, he tells a story. tells a story about how he grew up in the San Francisco area, and he went with his friends to see a San Francisco Giants baseball game. First of all, I, don't even, I can't even understand how people watch baseball. Sorry, that's another thing. I, you know, I just I can't even get around to it, but 
But anyway, these guys are going and watching it live and they're spending money on it, okay? So they're dedicated. So these guys are going, they're in the line, they're going to buy tickets to see the game. And apparently he tells a story that this gentleman came up to them and said, hey guys, do you want to see the game in my, in, in my business box? Do you want to go see the game? Do you want to come with me? And they said, uh, yeah, we'd like to do that. And they, they took him up on it. So the guy took them in and he took them into an entrance that they had never seen before. And they went through, they didn't go through the regular security detail. They, they, they went up and um, behind all the areas where everybody else was sitting. And they came up into this business box where they could get really close to the field and see the game. And they said that this guy said, here, give these guys whatever they want. And the people came and were serving them. And they were having the food and they were like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, this is amazing. They were experiencing the game that they had, were ready to pay for and standing in line for in a new and wonderful way. Why? Because this guy invited them and they said, yeah, we'll take you up on your offer. And because they knew him, he got them into places or into an experience that they wouldn't have had before. You see where I'm going with this? Because they had an opportunity in the moment to say, no. When this guy came and approached them, they could have said, no, I'm not interested because we don't trust you. I don't want what you have to offer because we don't know you. So they could have said, "Uh uh-uh, this is too scary. But the guy gave them an invitation And because of who this man was, he was able to give them an experience that they would have not otherwise had. And they could have wasted their time in the line, in the heat, waiting to go see this game, watching it from the nosebleeds with everyone else. Is it possible for you to waste your time on earth being a Christian? It's true. Because you know what? You weren't called to just know about him. 1 John chapter 5, verse 20 says this. It's not going to be up there, but it's 1 John chapter 5, verse 20. Please hear me on this. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true and we are in him who is true and his Son, Jesus Christ, and he is the true God and eternal life. You can have a fruitful experience and that is what you've been called to. Not just knowing about him, but John says here, he has come that you may know him. Don't waste your time just knowing about him. Let's continue. I want you to open up now to 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 5. And I'm going to read to verse 7, okay? For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. And we'll stop right there. So before we were reading about all the things, this is what Peter was telling them, listen, in God, in your knowledge of him, this is what, this is, what is accessible to you, but it's your choice. This is what's accessible to you. Divine power. Everyone say divine power. power. So God says, in the knowledge of me, getting to know me, in in your moment of need, 
Come to me. Don't go to anything else. Don't, don't, don't escape. Don't go, to the inst- don't go to Instagram. Don't go to the Google. I almost said the Instagram. <laughs> don't go to the YouTube. Don't go to the video games. Don't escape. In your moment of need, when you're lacking love, when you're lacking acceptance, when you're lacking a sense of self-worth, come to me, and I will give you divine power to do what? To, to, to help you experience divine life, to experience my life, and to give you everything that you need for godliness. And I will provide for you everything that you're needing. I think, I think it's in Philippians, it says you could, I think it's Philippians 4, it says that we could trust him because he's going to supply all your needs, everything you need. He can supply that to you. And so he says that happens, and then there's also the promises. So he has all these promises of how he's going to supply for you. He's going to, he's going to be with the brokenhearted. So if you're brokenhearted right now, and you're brokenhearted about the future, he's near to the brokenhearted. Trust those promises. All of these things, divine power and provision and promises. He promises all these things to you. And then he says, guess what? When you take part in that, when you trust these things, then you become a divine partaker. Sorry, not divine partaker, but you become a partaker in the divine nature. You begin to share in his qualities. And this is what brings us to verse 5. Because he starts naming them off. This is what it looks like. This is what it looks like to be fruitful in your knowledge of Jesus. And he's naming them off, right? You are now supplementing your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with steadfastness and with godliness, brotherly affection, and with love. Let me tell you, I used to read this verse differently. I used to read this verse and be like, okay, okay. I love God, but I, I, I sin, so I, I need to supplement <laughs> the fact that I sin uh, by doing this list. Everything that's on this list, i got to get it right. And I'm going to write out this list, and I'm going to check it off, right? Like my Google tasks, check, 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 check. Like Microsoft OneNote, check, 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 check. i got to get all these. Unfortunately, there's a ton of lists in the Bible about things you should do, and it's very difficult to do all of them, Okay? So I'm looking at this and I'm like, I gotta do this list. But I want us to pay attention to something very, very important here. Because we, last time we spoke, and especially if you look there at verses three to four, it's all about what God does first. It's all about what he did first. What does he say? I will provide for you divine power to give you everything that you need for life and godliness. So because he is supplied, because he's loved you, you can love others with the love that you've received. Because he's comforted you, you can comfort others with the comfort you've received from him. Rather than the burden of, oh, I, oh, I got to create it in my own being. I got to do it myself. So here he says, because of all these things that God has done for this reason now, this step of faith. And what is that step of faith? It's this. It's not knowing about him. It's not just about knowing him. It's not, sorry, it's not just about knowing about him, but it's saying whatever my need is, I take what I know about him and I say, I allow you now to meet that need. And that step of faith is very, very important now for the rest of this to happen. 
Even you look right now at James chapter 2, verses 14 to 18. You don't have to turn there. I think we're going to have it on the screen for you. But James chapter 2, verses 14 to 18. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have works, and I have works. Show me your faith apart from works. And I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. This brings us back to what we said earlier. Even the demons believe and shudder. Now, we are talking about Second Peter. You could do a four-part series on what I just read to you, Okay. But what I want to highlight to you is something very, very important here, which is the fact that faith can't just be what you know about him. It has to be an action. It is now something that you step into. It, otherwise, it's foolishness. Because someone could tell me, hey, guess what? You need to wear a seatbelt when you're driving. And I might know about everything that seatbelt's supposed to do. They could read me all the you know, certifications for the seatbelt. But it's pretty foolish if I don't use it. I could just be like, yeah, that's great. I'm happy to see it. I could drive. I probably could get somewhere and back without an accident. But sooner or later, that foolishness will catch up to me. So I have to have faith that this instrument is going to do what it's going to do. And so I do, I demonstrate my faith. I act on my faith by bringing that seatbelt over, clicking it in, and using it every time. Now it's become a habit, right? I just do it because I know it's safe. I know it's the right choice. And this is where I'm bringing us now to. That your faith has to be something that you act on. This is where you step into this place of knowing him. And this is where now divine power takes over. Where you step into a place where now his life is, is invigorated within you to do what we're going to start talking about next. So Peter is saying this. Let's go back and look at verse 5. He says, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue. Some commentators, actually I read one commentator say this, that that word supplement actually was used as a colloquial term in the, in the Greeks as a way to describe somebody who was very rich in that time using their money to support a play. So there's a great play. It is fantastic. It is really great. And they say, okay, I'm going to pay now for you to have, you know, more costumes, to have more finances behind it, and, and maybe to do an after party or whatever. So they're lavishing on the fact of what is already there. It's just acting upon what you know about. And so when you step into that, this is what happens. This is what this word virtue actually means. It just means that I'm going to trust what God says. So if God says something like, don't trust in the flesh, but trust in my spirit. Walk in the spirit. Engage with me. Let my life flow in through you. What's going to happen? That is right there in that moment. That is moral excellence. Because 
Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 and 23 talks about how it's no longer about the fruit of you. It's no longer about the fruit of Robin. It's no longer about the fruit of Isaac. It's about the fruit of the Spirit. And God wants to express his life in and through you in whatever situation you are stepping into. That no matter what your workplace is like, that it has become a mission field. It has become an opportunity for God to reveal himself and bring the aroma of him into that location, no matter how terrible it is. Because you are accepting the fact that you want by faith for God's life to live and be expressed through you. So this is what this step means. We're going to take a step forward to doing things God's way. We're going to trust in him. He's going to express his life through us. Let's keep going. After that, he mentions knowledge. So you add to this trusting God. You add to this living, living, allowing Christ's life to be expressed through you. You now add knowledge to that. So you're here, right? You're here. You've come to know more. You see, you learn more about him, and now you take that knowledge that you know about him, and you're going to apply it now to your life. You're going to say, now that I know more about his ability to care, I'm going to allow him to do that. Guys, it is your choice. This week, it's your choice. You feeling like you have a lack of care in your life? You feel like there are people who have robbed you of a sense of self-worth? Today is the day where you could choose that I will no longer align myself with what people have said about me, but I will align myself with what God says about me. You have that choice to accept that from him. And God, you could trust him to supply that sense of self-worth that is lost. So that's knowledge. You apply that knowledge. After that is self-control. I got to stay on self-control here for a little bit, guys. Do you mind? I'm going to stay on self-control here for a little bit. I, I watched this uh, video. Uh, it was um, uh, Kevin Hart. He was interviewing the uh, the star of the movie uh, Shang-Chi, the Marvel film Shang-Chi. He was interviewing him. And they were talking, these two were talking about fame. And they were talking about how fame is something that no one can prepare you for. No one could prepare them. No one could tell them what was going to happen to them. And so they're dealing with the pressures of what it is to be famous. And they're talking about how, okay, how do you keep what's important, elevated, like family and relationships, and still pursue this job that you have. Well, Kevin Hart goes off and he says, listen, this is what I do. And he's naming off all the things he does. He says, he says, even when I'm in a picture, in a production, I am preparing for the next one. I'm going out and talking to producers. So I'm using the fame that I currently have, and I'm going and I'm talking to producers who are making new movies, and I'm saying, hey, do you have a movie for me? Get a movie for me. And he says, that's happening, and then he's running back to the movie he just did, and he's like working on it, and then he's going ahead to the movie he last did, and he's doing post-production for it, he's doing interviews for it, and he's working his butt off. And he says, and I do all these things, and it works for me, but there's a cost, because it costs the relationships I have. 
He's doing something that he, believe is, he believes is good. And he's exercising control over his, his status. He's exercising control over his career, but it has a cost. And this topic of self-control, I really want to camp on it here for a second here. Because self-control is not about you just having control over doing bad things. Or not doing bad things. It's about actually also giving control of your life to the power of the Holy Spirit. Because in your own human ability, you're always going to live in the extremes. But God knows exactly what's necessary for every moment of your life. Do you believe that? That he knows exactly what's necessary for every moment. So self-control is this heavenly, this supernatural thing that happens. It's a fruit of the Spirit. It's not something that you generate. It's something that you trust God to do. That you don't have enough self-control to produce good in your life. You don't have enough self-control to keep yourself away from, from sins that are robbing you of God's pleasures and joys. You know that already. I don't have to tell you that. Why don't we hand over control? to the Spirit. These are all things, these are qualities of what it looks like to be somebody who is trusting God, to be somebody who says, I'm no longer settling for knowing about you. Now I'm stepping into a realm where I've come to know you. And Peter is saying, this is what it looks like. This is what comes out of your life when you've agreed that I will no longer know about him, but I am choosing now. To know him. Let's keep looking at these qualities. Next one is steadfastness or perseverance. This word in the Greek is also used for the word patience. Well, I want to appeal to you here in Hebrew chapter, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. This is a very important verse for many of us. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. It says this, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. That word endure in Greek is the exact same word as word for the, is used for the word patience. But here it has a different meaning. Why? Because it means that Jesus endured. He had steadfastness. He persevered through hardship. Who here, if you want to raise your hand, is currently persevering through hardship? Thank you for those who are honest. This ability to do that, uh, the, the, the William Barclay, the commentator says, this is, this is called perseverance. This, is, this steadfastness is not just simply accepting and enduring, but is actually looking forward to benefit, just like the verse says, that Jesus looked forward to the joy that was ahead of him. He believed in the promise of what he was going to do, was going to have immense um, blessing for the whole world. It was going to have immense blessing for Terry. It was going to have an immense blessing for Dan. He looked forward and he saw you and that encouraged him to endure. How do you do that? Faith. Faith. Not just that. Jesus acted on it. His great obedience to the Father was an obedience to die. 
But for who? But for you. Let's keep reading. After the steadfastness comes godliness. This word godliness I love because it's the word, it's otherwise translated true worship. This is how now you, you respond to God. So yes, you're persevering. You're allowing self-control to be expressed in your life. The spirit of God is, 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 is igniting self-control. And by that, you're able to endure and hold on to the promises through steadfastness. And then guess what happens after that? As you're trusting in him, you are responding to the love of God and is igniting true worship in you. And so because he's loved you, you are now loving others. That brings us to our next one, which is brotherly affection, which is not enough. I will just say that brotherly affection is great. You could have brotherly affection for those who are here in this service with you today, but it's not enough. Why do I say that? Because John makes it very clear. He, very, he makes it very clear. It's, the love of God is not in you if you don't love your brother. And this love he's talking about is an action. So he says, brotherly affection will be stirred up in you by the power of the Spirit as you act on your faith, as you supplement, as you feed your faith by just acting on what's there, by what you know about Jesus and allowing him to meet that need. As you do that, these things get stirred up in your life. And then the next one is love which is not just the sensation of love, but it's agape. It's unselfish love. It's unconditional love. It is love that is expressed in an action. This is what it looks like. This is what, this is what, this is what Peter is saying. He's saying, being fruitful in your knowledge of Jesus looks like Christ in you. All of these things look like Christ in you. And you are a reflection of him to the world I love it because we become divine, we become uh, partakers of the divine nature. My daughter, Naomi, I spent a lot of time over here. I'm coming over here. My daughter, my daughter, Naomi, she does things. You guys follow? Yeah, you guys got me. But my daughter, Naomi, does things that I'm like, you know, I sometimes I say this to Deanne, I'm like, you don't need to do a DNA test. That one's mine. Because <laughs> she does, she does things. She hasn't been around long enough to watch me, but she just does Robin things. She just shares in my, in my characteristics. Something got passed on. Some of them are praiseworthy. <laughs> Some of them are not. <laughs> Richard. Some of them will be praiseworthy. <laughs> Some of them will not be. She just, she, she receives something from me. It becomes hereditary. We become partakers in the divine nature. Why? Because we're children of God. And so you become a partaker in his hereditary characteristics. You start to receive the familial behaviors and characteristics that come from being connected to God. I'm not saying you become divine, 
But I'm saying you share his characteristics by the power of the Holy Spirit living in you, by which that list doesn't become a list of things to burden you day to day. It becomes something that God expresses in you day to day, and it is a demonstration that you are allowing him to meet your needs. You are now becoming fruitful in your knowledge of him. You're not being unfruitful. You're not wasting your time on earth which is quite easy to do. And I am telling you that there are multiple things in culture that are there on purpose to distract you from being fruitful in your knowledge of God. Unfortunately, us in the 1% have a multitude of those things at our disposal all the time. You don't have to go to God with your emotions. You can eat your emotions. You don't have to go to God with your emotions. You can escape your emotions. You can run away from them. You don't have to go to God with your great hurts. You could go to the internet and complain about it and let everybody know what it is so that at least you're known by people. God says, I knew you before you were born. Matter of fact, some of the trials that you're going through are there on purpose to draw you to me because you have a great need that nothing can satisfy. Only I can. Come to me. Come to me. Come to me. Every trial, every, every bit of suffering that you've experienced, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. I am able to supply. Trust my promises. Allow me to meet the need. Let's keep going. Right? Because we're talking about God's characteristics, so you might be asking this question, well, well what about me? What about my personality? What are my individuality? Listen, guys, I'm making that sound, but listen, I, I do that sometimes, okay? <laughs> I do this. I could play, what about me, God? Let's keep reading, because if we read in chapters 8, uh, uh, chapter 1, verse 8 to 9, being fruitful also demonstrates that we can be authentic. So let's look at that again. Okay, so we're looking at verses 8 to 9. For if these qualities are yours and are ever-increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is what we've been talking about. We don't want to waste our time. We want to be fruitful. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. In high school, I want to talk to the high school kids for a bit. In high school, I used to... Um, and one of my friends, he came up to me, and he said, you're a chameleon. I'm like, I'm not a chameleon. He's like, yeah, you're a chameleon. I'm like, what do you mean? I'm a human being. He's like, no, you're a chameleon because you have all these different friend groups in high school. And for every one of those friend groups, you change who you are to fit in. And to me, I was so mad at him. How dare you see into the darkness of my soul? <laughs> Very observant friend. And he was, and I, I know why I was mad, because he was right. I was doing that. I had this behavior where I would get into a certain group, and if I was with the sports guys, I'd talk sports. And if I was with the, where I really wanted to be was with, with the, the comics guys, the guys who talked comics. Someone's nodding here. I'm coming over here. Okay? <laughs> The guys who talk comics, I was with the comics, and I would talk comics, right? 
and, and I would change, I would always try to fit in by, by, by aligning who I was with how people wanted me to be. They, in my mind, they held a standard by which I needed to be accepted, so I transformed to be accepted in this group. And then I would transform to be accepted in this group. And let me tell you, the temptation is still there. Why? Because the need to be accepted is actually God-given. But the sin is actually taking a godly need and satisfying it in an ungodly way. So I'd go to this group and I'd transform. And I'd go to this group and I'd transform. And, and, and just, just to give me acceptance, please, somebody. You know what? If, if not regret, I look back on that season of life and I say, wow, that was a waste of time. Because I could have been asking God, who have you made me to be? And allowed him to express who I am to my friends and who he is in me to my friends. Like stained glass shining, the sun shining through stained glass onto the floor of a chapel or a citadel. A beautiful reflection of who God is, but using this life. What a waste. Could have just relaxed and been myself. And, and with all the time and energy that you have as a teenager, it was all wasted on trying to be what everyone else wanted me to be. Instead, Peter warns this. He says, don't be ineffective or unfruitful. And he says this, whoever lacks these qualities, these qualities that we've just named, is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. This brings me right back to James chapter 1, verses 22 to 24. You know this verse. But be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. What a waste of time to deceive yourself. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in the mirror, for he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he looks like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. So by faith, I accept this. I, by faith, I accept that my former sins are gone. Can now someone say amen? amen? Now you say that about me. How about for yourself? Your former sins are gone. Can you say amen? amen? Can I tell you something supernatural? Your future sins. Your future sins are gone. Why? Because when Jesus died, where were you? You are in the future. When he took away your sins, they are all gone. He didn't wash them away. He took them away. When he died on the cross, the old you that could not ever please God, your old spirit, died with him and was buried with him, and whatever is buried is not coming back. It's gone. It's a certificate of death of the old you. Now you have a new Spirit, you are a new creation that has been risen up with Christ. But when we forget about this, we become nearsighted and even blind, is what Peter says, in our daily lives. And instead, we're looking to our work performance. 
We are looking to other people. We're looking to friend groups. We are looking to how people dress and, 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 and do, I, do I measure up to how they dress? And, and we're looking at your finances and you're looking at somebody else's car and somebody else's house and somebody else's, somebody else's retirement plans. And you're looking at all of these things and you say, oh, shoot, what is my worth and value in this life? But you've forgotten something. You've forgotten that you were purchased with the blood of Jesus. An uncreated thing has given you value. Not a created thing. Not money or cars, but the blood of Jesus, the life of Jesus. An uncreated thing was given for you. You are of unmeasurable value by which you were purchased. Do you understand this? You were purchased with an unmeasurable value. It is not what the world looks like and what the world celebrates. And so somebody who is demonstrating these qualities, someone who's fruitful in their knowledge of God, they're not nearsighted. They've acknowledged this. They've said, oh, Jesus, please, I am feeling like I need to be accepted in high school. I wish I, said, I, wish I prayed this prayer when I was in high school. I have the need to be accepted. I've heard that you love people. I heard that you could help me feel like I belong. I heard that you comfort. It's not enough to know about you. I want to know that you do this. What happens is going to come in. It's going to dwell with you. It's going to help you to feel strong and endure whatever situation you're in. And you are going to reflect the qualities of God to whatever situation you're in. Sometimes the situations don't change. Can I get an amen to that? Sometimes the situations don't change. Sometimes your relationship with your kids get worse when you start trusting Jesus. Sometimes your boss gets harsher. But you're going to go from glory to glory because his spirit is in you. You're going to have the ability to endure. You are not now going to live based on your ability to control your outcomes, but you're going to release control to him. It's not about your ability to do self-control. Allow the spirit to do this. We're going to keep reading. Oh my goodness, what time are we at? I'm running, I'm running out of time. Therefore, let's look at verse 10, okay? Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let me say this quickly in closing. There's two things for us to pay attention to here. He calls out what happens if we're not diligent to confirm our calling and election. If you don't do that, you have the opportunity to fall. What does this word fall mean? Actually, the word sin is not even part of it, but it's often a word that is used in the Greek to demonstrate stumbling, to demonstrate um, a mishap or an, un, an unfavorable consequence. So if we're not quick to confirm this fact that you are a child of God, it's easy to slip into old behaviors by which you are defining yourself by how you, the old labels you used to have. 
So you struggle with the porn, you call yourself a porn addict, well, what are you going to do? You're going to go back to porn. Why? Because porn satisfied you. It, it, it's, it's something, when you set it ahead of you, it, you're going to run towards it. But instead, we affirm our calling that you are no longer your performance. You are a saint. You are a child of God. Setting that ahead of you, understanding that your value is immeasurable by the power and the grace and the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Holding on to this. I, I, love, to, I love to demonstrate this idea of confirming your calling and election as the fact that God chose you and he invited you. He gave you an invitation, like how Jesus does this about the wedding banquet. He's giving you an invitation to come and experience life to experience his blessing. And you took it. But you could do this at a party. You can go to a party that you've been invited to and you can be a wallflower. Or you can be a party pooper. You can be there and be down. I'm grumpy. And everybody could see I'm grumpy because I don't have everything I want right now. And my whole situation's not fixed yet. So I'm a little bit down. And that gets you a little bit of attention because people are like, what's wrong? Well, I'm down. <laughs> you know, you could be a party pooper. And, and, and even being honest as an introvert, sometimes when there's like social events, I'm like, well, it's kind of a little more comfortable at home. You know, like, I'm just like, it's a little more comfortable at home. I kind of want to stay home. You know, if you go out, you might feel rejected or whatever. You, you know, all those feelings are there. And sometimes I just risk and say, no, I'm going to go to this event. And even if I go to it, and I, I still have to say, I am willing to interact. I am willing to accept this invitation. I'm willing to accept being with people and being loved by people where I'm at. And more often than not, the reward is something that I can't quantify. But there's a blessing in getting together with others. And sometimes God shows up and loves me or loves my family or, or encourages me through other people. So you can confirm your calling. You can confirm that you've been chosen, you've been invited into this life with Jesus by taking it. And not just taking it, but saying, I'm going to be a willing participant in what you've called me to be and do. And when we don't do that, this is where this word stumble comes in. We miss out. We might be at the party and we might be wallflowers and party poopers and we're missing out on all the blessings and benefits that he has for us. Instead, we can willfully go and be a participator in whatever God has called us to do, and he will supply what we need. Especially if it's acceptance. Especially if it's self-worth. Especially if it's a sense of belonging. Especially if it's a sense of security. We can trust him to supply. Uh, let me close with this quickly. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6 says, and without faith, it is impossible to please him. Say impossible. And without faith, because faith isn't just knowing about Jesus. Even the demons know him, about him, and believe in him, and they shudder. So faith isn't just knowing about him. Faith is the action of trusting what you know about him. And without faith, it is impossible to please him, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. And that's the last part of that verse. Because yes, do you get an entrance 
into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Yes, that happens. But you have to understand that he rewards your faith. He rewards your step forward. He rewards your willingness to participate in your calling and election. And then this way, we don't waste our time. We are not ineffective. We're not unfruitful in our knowledge of him because we don't want to waste our time. That's not what we've been called to. You've been called to know him, and that's what he came to do. And so we receive that opportunity this week. This week, you're going to step into situations where you're going to have great needs. I believe that. Why? Because this world is crazy bad. Okay? You're going to step into situations where you have needs. More than just what you eat and drink. Something deep inside of your soul. I want to invite you to be fruitful in your knowledge of the Lord by saying yes to allowing him to meet those needs. I will tell you this for my, oh my goodness, I'm going to be 40 in May. Let's go, okay? Yeah, for my 40 years of life that I've seen a few times that he does meet those needs. I want to encourage you to trust him today. Are you willing to trust him this week? Let's do that. Let's pray. Jesus, I invite you now uh, to, uh, to anoint your people. Give them your power and authority to step into scary situations. Give them your courage. Give them your bravery to say yes to situations they don't want to be in, to say yes to relationships, to say yes to problems, to say yes to future circumstances that they want to run away from. Give them your courage and your bravery, your strength, your joy, to endure. And I pray that your people, every person numbered here, would say, I agree. I choose to be fruitful in my knowledge of you, not to know about you only, but to be fruitful in my knowledge of you. This is right now in Jesus' name. Amen. You have been listening to the New Life Fellowship podcast. Thanks for joining us. For more great content, please be sure to check out our website, newlifekw.ca and sign up for our mailing list. Subscribers will receive our The Life in the Apartment ebook that is sure to encourage and bless. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and subscribe to our YouTube channel to watch the latest services and additional video content. New Life Fellowship is a registered charity that is supported by the giving of partners and friends. All donations will be received. If you would like to donate, donate at newlifekw.ca. Your giving is highly valued and appreciated. You are loved. Take care.